You are listening to the New World Order, episode 360. This is Clatu. We're talking about Groff. Groff is a documentation format and a documentation command that comes with Slackware. And it's probably on your system right now, even if you're not running on uh, running Slackware. Groff is the powerhouse behind man pages. The whole man system kind of runs on, well, is written in Groff, I should say. It's not really doesn't run on Groff, but it, it's written in Groff and it's rendered as man pages from Groff sources. Groff is, of course, GNU Trough. It's been a fun language to kind of explore. We're in the thick of it now, or, or rather, we're out we're out of the thick of it. We, we went through the thick of it last episode, I feel, and the episode before that. We learned about requests and arguments and different rendering um, libraries, or, or um, preprocessors, rather, uh, for equations and chemistry output, and now we're just kind Kind of mucking around with all the utilities, a bunch of related utilities. The first one we're going to talk about is gdiffmake. G-D-I-F-F-M-K. Gdiffmake. It generates a sort of a diff file of sorts. It's not quite what you might be used to if you use diff, the command, to generate patch files on a regular basis. This is related, but not the same. If you've ever done a git diff, that that kind of thing for, for, for diff in a patch file, that's Similar but different than gdiffmake. Uh, gdiffmake creates, uh, well, I guess we can just do some, we'll demonstrate what it does. It has notation to show changes in a file. So we're going to call, we're going to generate a, I'm in my demo folder here. Yes, I am. Okay. Um, so I'm going to create a new file called example.1, and we know how to do this more or less. We'll do .th for the heading line, and we'll put uh, example in quotes. I'm putting example. That's probably enough, actually. And then .sh, oops, .sh for a subheading. This is just an example. .quotation. And then we'll do, um, let's do a .pp for, um, we'll just put that this is an example graph file. This is a paragraph in the file. Okay, so pretty simple little file here. It's a four-line file, but it is valid, and now it exists. And I'm going to copy that example one to example.old.1, and then I'm going to open up example one again. So this will be my, my current version of this file. And I think I'll change the name of this example to um, hello world. So that's the .th now says hello world instead of example. And I'm going to add a line between this is an example graph file and this is a paragraph in the file. And I shall put, uh, I shall write, um, I like to type on my computer. And I'll save that. So now it's a five line file and it has, it has a changed line and an added line in example.1 compared to example.old.1. So now if I do a gdiff make, it's gdiff mk, and I get, there are three required arguments. So one is the old file, so that's example.old1. The next one is the current file, so that's example.1. And then the final argument is a destination file. Actually, I shouldn't say that's a required argument. It's not required. It will dump it out happily to your terminal if you leave that command or that that, that option out. So I'm just going to call this example.patch, even though this isn't actually a patch file, but that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. All right, so now we'll take a look at example.patch, and that's how, I mean, it, it just ran. Like, the, the moment I hit return, it was done. It's a very quick command, especially when your file is only five 
lines long. Okay, so I'm opening up this little patch file here, and it's now nine, my file is now nine lines long. It used to be five, if you'll recall. And here's the reason. So it opens up, instead of, you'll recall that I put a .th as the opening line. Well, now it opens up with a .mc, so this is a new request. We know requests now when we see them, and we know that that's a new one. We don't know what that is, so if we go to Firefox, or a web browser of your choice, um, and we look at we look at the documentation for Groff online, it, there, there's a section where it tells you all the different requests that are available. And sure enough, if you do a search, a case-sensitive search, you'll find the .mc, and it turns out that this stands for print a margin character, mc, to the right of the text. The first argument is the glyph, the second is the distance away from the right margin, by default 10 points. Now that may not make any sense to you, but uh, we, we can look and see what it means. So what it's done is it, st it started this thing, .mc, and then a pipe character, and then it has our .th line with hello world on it, so not the old one that said example, but the new one that says hello world, and then it closes the .mc request, or, or rather, it makes a new empty request. And then there's our subheading, this is just an example, and then our paragraph, this is an example graph file, and then there's the .mc request again, this time with a plus sign after it. And then there's that new line that we have, I like to type on my computer, and we then it, then it makes a new mc request that is empty, and then there's finally the final line of the of the file. So what we have here is a is a, a modified graph file with the modifications marked clearly marked in it. it you, you notice that it's not a diff file though, because now a diff file traditionally you'd you'd see what was removed in order to make way for the new stuff. If you've ever done a diff file, you you know that that you we what we would have seen normally, like in a git diff, certainly you'd see a, a negative sign by the example title, and a pl and then ap immediately after that plus sign, and then the uh, hello world title. So you know what's been removed, you know what it's been replaced with, or whether it's not been replaced at all. But this patch file it shows you the new stuff, but it's it's just marked up. So. If you do, for instance, if we if we get this thing to render, uh, in this case it won't you it won't work with less because less doesn't know I, I've named it something weird and less less isn't seeing it as a graph file right now. So I'm just going to do man example patch, and we see the little tiny man page formatted as such. So it has the hello world uh, title up in the top left and the top right. And then it's got my little my little paragraph heading there that says this is just an example. To the far right of that line, the very right side of my man page here, there's a pipe. There's that character that we requested, or that GDIF make requested for us to be printed in the in the right column, and and it's a pipe symbol showing that it has been modified since maybe last time we saw it. And then there's the paragraph. Now remember in Groff it. It, it is tr the, one of Groff's jobs is to eat carriage returns, to eat the new line character, so it did. It took, I like to type on my computer, this is a paragraph in the file, and instead of printing it on two separate lines, it becomes one line. And at the end of that line, on the very right-hand margin of this man page, there's a little plus mark. So we know that something's been added to that paragraph. And that's it. It, it helps you visualize changes, I guess, would be a, a good way to describe what that does. Next up is G Lily Pond. Lily Pond is a music notation um, uh, 
language, I guess. I mean, music notation itself could be described as a language. This is a language for computers so that you can type in ASCII and generate really nice uh, musical notation, like on a treble or bass clef or whatever. Um, whole notes, half notes, quarter notes, 16th notes, all that stuff. Um, it's it's a powerful language. I've known people who use it with great success. It is quite nice. I, I haven't really done much with it myself, but um, I know a lot of people do really, really like it. Other people hate it because, you know, it's a complicated, like a language, or it is a language that you have to learn and type and stuff. And with applications where it just shows you the staff and you can just click on things, you know, like music score, for instance, that this is sometimes a hard sell. But if you are a person who uses Lily Pond, then G Lily Pond integrates, helps you integrate LilyPond output into a graph document. So you kind of have to back up and separate all of these concepts, especially if they're at all new to you. So if you want to do LilyPond, you don't need graph. LilyPond is, is its own thing. It just so happens that someone wrote an extension or a, a, a macro for LilyPond, uh, for graph that accepts LilyPond input and uh, integrates that to with your graph document. So in other words, you might be a music theorist and you're you're writing a paper about some kind of, you know, musical uh, principle and you want to do a little sample staff of, of of notation between two paragraphs. That's what G Lily Pond would enable you to do. You you wouldn't probably use G Lily Pond if you were sitting down to write to, to write down a composition for for use later on or for a, an orchestral score. You wouldn't you wouldn't do that he, with 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 Groff. You would just use Lily Pond. That's all you need. Okay. So that's I just wanted to kind of get that straight so that I'm not confusing you and and. You think, oh, it's Lily Pond sounds great. I want to use it, and then you think, oh, but then I have to learn Graph. That's not this. They're not related at all. This is a tool within Graph that allows people to mix their Graph with their Lily Pond. That's all. Okay. So now that we understand that Lily Pond, it says, G Lily Pond integrates Lily Pond parts into Graph, and uh, it's very conf- it's it's a bit confusing, but but here's here's what it does. It's a lot like EQN and chem, really, if you think of it that way, um, which which the workflow of that, I think, is a little bit confusing, and, and it's going to be confusing again here, but it's G Lily Pond transforms sheet music written in the Lily Pond language into the Graph language using the .pspick request, such that Graph can transform it into a format that can be displayed directly. Files in Graph language and standard input can be prov- provided as arguments. Okay, so we know from this that we need two things. We need some graph we need a graph file and then because we're because the point of this is to transform lily pond into into or or integrate lily pond with graph we need some lily pond in our graph so i am going to open up example dot one again i'm going to save it as example no i'm just gonna actually i'll just we don't need to save it we'll just do it right in here example dot one at the end of this document remember this is the five line file hello world this is just an example we're going to put dot lily pond space start and if if you're guessing that that's a request and an argument you're correct and then i'm going to import some lily pond notation that i just downloaded from the internet specifically from lilypond.org they they they've got some they've got some training material there that 
kind of demonstrates for you what what this notation means and, and how to do it. So uh, this is Lily Pond. Um, it's about 20 lines of, of Lily Pond notation, and it starts out with RH music equals backslash relative C, quote, quote, curly brace, backslash N, new voice, oh no, b- b- uh, backs- backslash new voice, curly brace, R2, C4 dot, G8 pipe, BES1 tilde pipe. You see why people don't like this. Like people who are used to just clicking around on st- the staff and and so on, this can be a difficult thing for them to grasp. But there you go. That's what it looks like. It's 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 pretty cool. It's it's code that produces musical notation. And at the end of this block, did I say it was twenty lines? I meant it was more like forty lines. Uh, at the end of it, we're gonna do dot lily pond space end. So that's not entirely foreign to us. It's a it's a request. We're, we're, we're sort of tagging the input and output, the, the beginning and the end of this, of this foreign language that we suddenly have, inter- have pasted into our graph document, and we're, we're marking that with a special request. Now, of course, graph by itself does not know what that request means. All it, it sees this new request, .lilypond, has no idea what that means, and that's because it's not meant for graph. It's actually meant for g lily pond now as it turns out this program won't run without um quite a couple of dependencies so it turns out that it needs perl file homeder and which in itself uh, requires file which so you have to install some perl dependencies if they're not already installed or if you're if you're not on slackware your package manager may have already installed that but on slackware certainly um interestingly this application that ships with Slackware does not actually work without installing two extra Perl packages from slackbuilds.org, and uh, in and and then in turn you have to install LilyPond because G LilyPond requires LilyPond, and that doesn't ship with Slackware. Or I didn't install it in the first place, but I do see that it's in slackbuilds.org, and usually if there's something in slackbuilds.org, that means it doesn't come with Slackware. So this one I think maybe kind of snuck in there. Um, and, or, or rather, maybe it didn't sneak in there, maybe it's, it's included, but if you want to use it, it does require extra applications, which is a reasonable, I can see it both ways. On one hand, it is reasonable, because it's like, well, if this thing comes with Graph and is Graph-related, then why not, why not, why not include that thing with, with the rest of Graph? Why, why drop it when it when anyone saying oh cool graph comes installed is going to kind of expect that g lily pond is is installed maybe in theory um so you have to just install some extra packages in order for it to actually do the thing that it's meant to do on the other hand it is kind of weird to include a software that literally won't work unless you install extra things without any kind of like notation about oh by the way if you want to use this thing you have to go install these other packages Anyway, to be fair, this is a very niche activity that we're doing right now. However, I wanted to see this work, so I installed the Perl file homeder and the Perl file which, and then I installed LilyPond and the FontForge and other related dependencies for LilyPond. Now I'm ready to go. So the first thing we'll do is we'll just watch GLilyPond work its magic, and by default, when it does, it, it just dumps the output to your terminal. So we'll do g lilypond dash dash pdf to eps dash I'm gonna have to look up what, what this 
what the long option for this dash t is. I forget. It's something like dash dash temp. It is dash dash temp underscore dir. So glilypond dash dash pdf to eps. And that's just, we're just controlling how lilypond processes the lilypond music in the in the document. And then dash dash temp underscore dir and then dot slash b. Now all that is, what I'm doing here is I'm saying I don't want the temporary directory to be slash temp slash lilypond slash clatu slash graph or something. There's a big long temporary directory that it uses and I don't see the point. I want my temporary directory to be local right here in the same directory. I'm going to just call it b for build because I really I'm kind of lazy when I type, um, and that's the command, except we need the input, right? So for whatever reason, glilypond wants, um, you, you have to select, you have to separate the options from the argument, and I think that's probably got something to do with the fact that it, by, by default, it will allow input from standard input, maybe, I'm not sure, but anyway, you have to do a dash dash, and then it's like space, dash dash, space, and then the rest of the com or the the argument the file you want to process which in this case is example.1 i guess instead of doing it that way you could also just do a redirect pointing to the left so a less than symbol example1 you you could do that either way the result is a tiny little graph file in this case because my graph example.1 is only 5 lines uh, of course we 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 stuck 40 lines of lily pond in there but it's reduced it back down to six lines. So the, all that LilyPond code has, is now, has now been transformed by LilyPond, well, by glilypond, but through LilyPond, into a, a .pspick statement. So we've got my graph file, all five lines, and then there's a new line at the end where the LilyPond used to be, and it is .pspic. So this is a, pre, this is a postscript uh, preprocessor, and then the path to this EPS file. EPS is an encapsulated postscript. We know what postscript is because in a couple of episodes in the past, we were talking about ghost script, and we even wrote some postscript by hand. So we're familiar with this format more or less. It's just right now it's been encapsulated. Encapsulated EPS. You can also put PS into, well, certainly a printer, but uh, into a big bloated file format like PDF. So it's a relatively flexible format actually and uh, it is text-based and it is vector-based so or or it can be anyway I mean it can have other stuff in it but but generally that's that's what it does that's what it is okay so there's postscript that's a postscript file it exists now but we want to go further with this so what we will do is we'll do glilypond dash dash pdf to eps dash dash temp underscore dir dot slash b for our temporary folder uh, and then dot dot or i mean dash dash example dot one and then we're going to redirect the output of that to example dot ly dot one ly being the common notation for a lily pond uh, format so i'll just use that here to indicate that hey this is the one with the lily pond um, in it. Well, actually, you know what? It would make more sense actually to do example.ps.one because really that's what this is. Okay, so anyway, we got example.ps.one, uh, whatever. Um, and that produces this file, which is the same thing as we just saw on the in the output. It's, it's a graph file. It has one little .pspick line at the end. Cool. So if it's a graph file, how can we process it? Well, we know that we can process graph files with graph, so let's that, that seems like a pretty reasonable place to start. So let's do that. So we'll do graph 
Actually, let's look up in Groff really quick what we need to start off to to, to start a preprocessor with pick. And we know that last time we used this command with chem, if you'll recall. You you may or may not recall, but we did. And it's it's just dash p as in pick or or preprocess, I guess. So we'll just do a graph dash p and then a dash capital T for our uh, target device. And in this case, now we've we've been doing a lot of PDF targets lately, but this in this case we're just going to do a ps. So dash capital T ps for keeping a postscript. And then the input file, which is example.ps.1. And once again, if we don't do anything here, we we could get the the output in the terminal. We could look at the output. And sure enough, that looks vaguely like PostScript to me. But what I'm going to do instead, because I, I don't need to see the PostScript, I, I, I don't need to see the source of the PostScript, I just want to see the output, the render. So I'm going to redirect the output to out.ps. No, example.ps. How about that? Example.ps. And then finally, last but not least, I'm going to do an ocular of example.ps. Ex ocular being my my PDF and PostScript viewer uh, on this system. And here we go. There's, um, I like to see, uh, I like to type on my computer. This is a paragraph in the file. Scrolling down, there's my lily pond output. And uh, there's a little footnote there, music engraving by lily pond 2.18.2. Uh, and that's it. And that is how you use G lily pond. Should you ever, ever, ever need for whatever reason to integrate music notation with your Groff content. Now you know. That was a lot. Let's take a coffee break. coffee in hand, ready to tackle the next group of Groff-related commands. I'll be honest, the next group of Groff-related commands, I'm going to kind of fly through because we've gone over three three preprocessors now that basically like if you look at my examples certainly on the main on the on the website newworldorder.info if you look at the examples in the show notes or if you'll just think about them you'll realize that they're all basically they're starting to boil down to the same workflow. They're they're not certainly not the same thing, but they are very very similar in how they're executed. So whether you're doing an, a mathematical equation or a chemical representation or a lily pond file of of music, it it starts with your graph document that you're working on anyway, presumably, and you do a request for a new format. So a little breakout section, like Groff, ignore this section, this is not Groff, this is something else. So whether that's a .eq for equations, and .en to close the equation, or .cstart and .cend for chemistry, or .lilypond start and .lilypond end, or whatever it was, whatever it is, you demarcate where your third-party language starts and stops. Then you put your third-party content between those requests, and then you run a preprocessor. I think that of all the steps, that seems to be the most confusing. Like the third-party language itself is, it is what it is, but 
how to process it once you've got the third-party language. That seems to be a little bit less clear, but it's it's also something that's very flexible because it kind of depends on you. Like, what are you looking to generate from, you know, how do you want to represent this? Are you generating a postscript? Are you generating a PDF? Are you doing something else entirely? It, it obviously depends largely on what your intended workflow is. So that's the workflow in general, and it is the same for preprocessors like, and here's the next group of, of programs, gperl. gperl, preprocessor for Perl parts in RAW files. So with, with the Perl uh, preprocessor, you start a Perl block, uh, code block, with dot Perl with a capital P, uh, or dot Perl start, whichever one you want. Um, again, I like explicit, so I would dot, I would do dot Perl space start, and then you do your Perl code, and then you end it with a dot Perl capital P uh, space stop. That's it. Then you've got Perl code in your graph document, and you run it through the gperl preprocessor to turn that into a, a a recognizable document for whatever else you want however else you want to process it whether it's a, a further processing with graph itself or grapher or something else entirely it's up to you okay next one is gpinion i'm i'm probably not saying that correct correctly um, but this is the chinese european like writing within graph so this is a preprocessor again for for graph it allows you to add chinese european like language pinyin into graph files pinyin well first let's slow down step back so to start the the pinyin block in your graph file of course you do a request right that's what we would expect so that would be dot pinyin space start, or you can do dot pinion space begin, whichever you prefer, and then dot pinion space stop, or dot pinion space end. All of those things will work together, and one starts and one stops the block. Within that block, you place your uh, pinion, I guess we could call it markup, or we could say notation. The pinion um, notation is, well, it's essentially... Um, a, Rom- a romanization version of of Chinese, and it's based around a set of syllables, about 400 or so syllables, and uh, combined with five different tones. And you mark this up just in ASCII, and place it within the pinyin requests, and then run it through the preprocessor, and you get uh, pinyin rendered correctly in graph. Okay, next up is grap to graph. This is another script a lot like eqn to graph, which we covered in the previous episode if I recall correctly, and it converts grap diagrams to a bitmap, to PNG or JPEG or anything that image magic convert supports, which is practically everything. Uh, I've I'd never heard of grap before, and apparently it is kind of an old format from from early Roth days, and when GNU Roth came out, for whatever reason, it didn't implement GRAP. So someone named J- uh, Ted Faber took it upon himself to develop GRAP 
uh, an open source version of Grappen. It is is located from lunabase.org slash tilde faber slash vault slash software slash grap. I'll try to remember to include that in the in the links. Point is you need this you need grap in order for grap to graph to function. So you'll have to download that and compile it and install it. Or maybe your your distribution has it in their uh, software repository. You could check that I guess. The compile was not terribly difficult. He kind of issues a warning on the page, um, on the home page where you're, you're downloading it. He, he says that, uh, he says, deity help you if you try to use auto tools or something like that, which I thought was kind of, um, funny and unusual because, uh, that seems like the obvious solution for the compiling of this. And also when I did compile it, it worked as expected. So I'm not sure what uh, what sort of what reservations he had about it, but it's uh, AC local auto header auto make dash dash add dash missing and then auto conf and then dot slash configure make make install. Being on Slackware, I did a make install dest dir equals temp and then grap dash whatever the date is to represent the uh, git checkout. I guess I should probably used a, a hash for that, but anyway, I did that installed it, it works. Luckily, grap comes with several example files, because I wouldn't have known where to find a grap diagram without without the examples. So if you get the grap source code, you do find some example files in the in the uh, example directory. And for instance, you could do, uh, let's look at this, cat internet.d, that's a, apparently a grap diagram.d, and then pipe that to grap to graph, dash format, uh, let's do jpeg, dash density, let's do 300, and then redirect the output to my.jpg, and then if we do a display of my.jpg, we get a graph. Um, it looks like it's um, dot graph, it has dots along it, an x and y axis, neither of which are exactly labeled. I mean, they're labeled with numbers, but I don't know what, what it represents. That translates the graph uh, diagram to a, a bitmap graph. Next up is GRN, which is short sort of for Gremlin. Gremlin apparently is some kind of graphing uh, software or language. I was unable to find a whole lot about it. I shouldn't say graphing. I, I I guess I mean rendering or maybe illustration even. Um, drawing. Drawing would be another word for that. Um, so it's it's some kind of language, apparently, for drawing shapes and figures on screen. But I, I couldn't find, well, really anything about it. Uh, the man page is the most I could find about it, and the the things online reference the manual, or I was able to find the manual over and over again. I could not find the thing about the, the file format. Now, there is something new on Apache.org that talks about Gremlin as a graph uh, query language, a graphing query language. I do not believe that this is the same thing. This is something that was from the Apache. Uh, some, something called an AED, which I don't actually know what that is, uh, and then there was a Sun Microsystems slash X11 implementation of, of this language, and you prefix a block of Gremlin code, which looks a lot like just number coordinates, like 0, 24.00, 128.00, 2, 240.00, 128.00, and so on, and then there's some shapes like triangle or 
polygon, so it, it, it seems like it would be a language that you could almost comprehend. Like, I kind of have an idea of what that would look like. I can plot 240. That was the word I was looking for, by by the way, plotting. Um, I can plot 240 and 128 in my head if I you know, give me a Cartesian graph, and I'm just, I, I, I sort of picture that. But, and from 240, 128, I can, I can then pretend like I could go 185 down to 120, and then back up to 240 uh, along the 120, you know, so you, you kind of have that notion of, of what that would look like. But I don't, I can't find the the program that translates that into an actual thing, whether it's, I don't know, ASCII shapes or bitmap image or, or whatever, I just can't find it. So you, you prefix the block of gremlin code with the line gremlin file or sun gremlin file, because apparently there's a slight difference between the original gremlin file spec and the sun gremlin file spec but i i was not able to find those file specs i could not find what i was supposed to use to process those coordinates and and then end up with something that looks like a graphic um again the the one on apache.org which you will find if you take it upon yourself to to hunt this down you'll think oh, i could pop that i could find it and i'll send Klaatu a link you'll find the one on apache.org as i do not believe that's the same thing that seems to be a graph query language. That's not what this is as far as I can tell. So anyway, this gremlin file format, uh, you can write within a .gs request and close that request with a .ge request. Everything between that should be gremlin language. And, and then in theory, you should be able to process this gremlin uh, file through the grn preprocessor for groff now i am i i've been able to do that uh the the problem with what i've been doing is that i it doesn't it doesn't give me anything but either groff or uh it'll give me postscript i can get it to postscript but but the postscript is just the literal gremlin code like spelled out you know like instead of in in ascii font it's it's in postscript uh vectors so it it doesn't i i can't get the thing to translate so anyway i'll just say that grn as far as i can tell should work mostly like eqn for instance or chem but i've i've i don't know if i'm missing a dependency here or if i'm just doing something wrong that um that, that i'm not catching but um you know all the usual sort of commands like grn uh, grn example.me piped to well for instance grofer-p-me-capital-tps uh, redirect to my ps that sort of thing doesn't seem to render any results for me. There is a note in the grn man page, in fact only the dash me macro package has support for .gs, .ge, and .gf. Now that seems on the surface like that should be okay, but if I do, well obviously if I do a, a, a graph I'm gonna need graph input, so I'll make a, a sample dot, uh, g, g something. Uh, well, let's just do a sample.graph, for instance. And then we'll do an input of .th, quote, hello gremlins. And then we'll do a .gs to start our block. And we'll do sun gremlin file. And then we have some gremlin code. So 0240.001280.00. And then the number 2 on a line itself. I don't know what any of this means. 240.00128.00185120. And so on. So we'll, I'll just let that sort of go on for a little while. And then .ge to end the gremlin 
block. Now we can invoke, in theory, graph space dash me. That's the macro to process this stuff, as, as far as I understand. Sample.ge. Now I'm not going to redirect this output, because I want to see... Well, I will, actually. I'll pipe it through less. Unless, sure enough, it confirms that it's giving me a postscript document. So now if I do that and redirect it to my.ps and then do an ocular my.ps, I get in return a very literal postscript version of what of what I've entered. So it's, it's it literally starts with this is some graph text and then it shows me the text sun gremlin file and then the numbers that I've typed in. So there's nothing, it's not being translated into anything. So apparently that's not working as far as I can tell. And I, I don't know where where the breakdown is exactly, but at least we know that GRN exists and that at one point there was a file format called G, uh, Gr Gremlin. And if you if you know anything about it, I'd be curious to hear more. I would I'd be very interested in hearing about, about whatever Gremlin file was used for and, and maybe even what processes it, because I can't find it to save my life. Okay, next up is GrowDVI. That's convert graph output to DVI format, which is a, a TEX format, apparently. Uh, T-E-X, like LaTeX. Text DVI format is what it's called. And the idea is here that you're you're essentially running graph dash capital T DVI. So you're telling it, you know how we've run dash T PDF or dash T PS, you're telling it to use a driver called the DVI dev DVI for its output from graph. Uh, and if I have a sample sample graph file, which I do sample.graph, I can do graph dash capital T DVI sample.graph and then redirect that to blah DVI, run file on blah.dvi, and it confirms that it is a text DVI file. I could look at that presumably in probably ocular, should should know how to translate that. Yes it does, and that renders correctly. So I'm not exactly sure why one would need a DVI file. Uh, I've never really used one. I think that's the closest I've ever gotten to a DVI file just now. So I, I'm not sure what they're good for or what they're useful for, I should say. But that is how you can how you can go from graph to DVI, and, and that's an important concept, really. The the whole uh, driver concept. I don't know if I've I think I did mention that in the very first graph episode, but I, I kind of. I feel like maybe I should maybe I should reemphasize that that you can yeah we were talking about fonts I think but you can um, you can learn quite a bit about about graphs capabilities by looking in slash user usr slash share slash graph dash whatever version it is so this is one dot two two dot three slash font and that lists, I forgot to do the ls command, that lists things like dev ascii, dev dvi, dev html, dev latin1, dev vlbp, and, and so on. There's dev pdf, there's dev ps, there's dev utf8. You might remember some of these from that, that very first graph episode. The idea here is that it's using these drivers to produce output of a certain type. So if you are, if you do have graph, a graph document, and you think, okay, well, I've I've done the unthinkable and I've switched my entire workflow to graph, but I just realized I don't need a PDF output of this particular document or a plain text one. I need HTML. Well, you you could do that by just setting your device target, your target device, to dev HTML, and then it would use dev HTML to translate your your graph file to some other format which is 
quite useful. Okay, so here's the next one, uh, and this is kind of cool, and I think maybe this is the one I'll, I'll end on because it's it's pretty neat. It's a little bit Grofer. It's a little bit like Grofer, the, the application. Um, it is a, a, a guessing Grof command, so it's grog, G-R-O-G, and it, it guesses options for a Grof command. It will read the input of whatever you throw at it, and it tries to guess which Grof options are needed to perform, uh, you know, to, to, to process to process that correctly. So for instance, if I do, uh, and this will be a, an arguably poor choice of, um, of an example, but if I do a grog sample.grof, then it tells me that the, the, the options that it believes I should, I should use are grof-g, which we'll have to look up in the man page for grog, what that, what that is. Oh, pre-process with grn, okay, fair enough. Dash man sample.grof. So I'll run that command, grof-g for the pre-processing for, with grn, dash man sample.grof, and I'll redirect it to, I don't know, my.ps, and then I'm going to run, oh, actually, it, um, it errored out on that already. It doesn't know. It doesn't know what to do with something on line five, which is some numbers zero, zero on line five. It doesn't understand what that is. It doesn't understand a font name that it thinks that I'm trying to give it in the Sun Gremlin file line line four. So that obviously did not work successfully after all. That's that's too bad. Let's try again. Let's do let's do grog um, grn example.me. Uh, that one, it just says it doesn't understand at all. It's uh, undefined subroutine, doesn't know what to do with that. So I'm having poor, poor luck with these these um, these sample grn files, and that's okay. I didn't really expect it to do all that much. So then grog, let's do this man page here, this innocent looking man page that I have. And that one it identified correctly, and it told me, okay, grof-man sport.8. I look at it, and it produces some uh, some postscript for me. Of course, I could redirect that to a postscript file, and then I'd have a postscript version of that man page. So, um, you know, it, it grog is again, yeah, it's guessing what you want to do. Uh, it it apparently defaults to postscript output. I'm not sure why, but I mean, maybe that's just the typical output format for. for for, for who their audience was. Um, maybe it's because they're assuming you're using this in order to send it to a printer. I'm not sure, but that does seem to be the, the default. Now, if I do grog-t uh, html sport.8, then it correctly, uh, it, it, it'll understand my additional option, and it'll add it into the mix of the command that I should run, which is, for instance, grog-t-html-man sport.8. So if I, run, if I ran that, I'll just select that line and click and hit return and then it um yeah it outputs it outputs html for me so it it's it, it it's doing what i want it's telling me how to get there that seems pretty useful that is probably it for this episode i mean there's more there's yet more to go through uh from the graph package but we are in the last sort of screen full so that's that's good news um hopefully some of these were were either interesting or or just insightful, because uh, Graph, I, I feel like most of us ignore it. It's it's generally considered an archaic markup language. And to some degree, I will say that I, I kind of see why. I mean, I don't know how easy it would be to process Graph manually. 
I mean, that said, I, I don't know how really easy it is to, or I should, I should say, automate the processing of Groth. I mean, sure, you can automate it with Groth, but, but in terms of, for instance, if you, if you realize you, you actually meant one tag and not the other, how easy is it to go in there with said and just fix everything in one, in one go? I, I, that's kind of my, my, that's my personal judgment of, of how good or bad a markup or a markdown language is. Kind of, you think, well, how easy is it for me to hack on it without anything too specialized or without learning an entirely new language of some sort? Uh, and that can be difficult. I mean, XML, for instance, is is quite difficult to process on your own. You, you, you have either have to be very clever with your reg, regex or you have to learn something like XML Starlet or XPath or something like that. And that can get pretty complex or beautiful soup, whatever. It can be complex. I don't know what the easiest one is. I don't know that it would be Groff. I don't know that it wouldn't be Groff. I, maybe I'm not thinking about it broadly enough. I mean, not having written extensively in it, there, there might be... I, I can't think of what I would want to change in that way anyway. So maybe the, the, the relative absence of tags in, in many ways seems like it could be an advantage. Um, but the unpredictable nature of some of those tags does seem a little bit more complex. I don't know. It, it, I'm, not, I'm not sure. The other reason I think that it's considered maybe slightly archaic or arcane is um, that in some of these preprocessors, there does seem to be potential for interference. Now, to be fair, I don't know how often you're going to have to run some text through both, uh, I don't know, grap to graph as well as EQN and chem. I'm just not sure how often that's done. Maybe that's a classic combination that would happen very frequently. I don't know. But there's a couple of warnings in some of the man pages that says, hey, if you're running this through a, this preprocessor, make sure that you run, you, you make sure you run this one before you run that one, and that sort of thing. So that seems a little bit clunky that the man page would have to sort of warn you about the order of something that wouldn't get caught in the command at, at the time of execution. So that, that makes me a little bit concerned and we will continue to look at it in the next episode and i think we'll probably end it we'll probably finish it up in that episode thanks for listening i'll talk to you next time listening to the GNU World Order AugCast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as AugCast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at clatu at member.fsf.org. That's clatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time.
You know, of course, that you are living in a power age. You cannot get away from this power. What are you doing with it? 